It's Barely in Topic, a podcast for Boston Bruins fans by Boston Bruins fans. Hey, Tim. Hey. Did you know that the Bruins have a new airliner in partnership with JetBlue? I heard about it. Do you know what it's called? You know what? I may, I don't know if I saw the name. What's the name of it? Bear Force One. Oh, man, it's beautiful. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. And, and honestly, looking at pictures, it's actually like on the outside of it, painted on the outside is Bear Force One. Oh, my gosh. And they're using it. They're using it today to fly down to Raleigh. I love it. I love everything about it. So you're listening to... Barely on topic. Yep, it's another episode. I just put out the other one in the middle of the night, but here we are again. And today, it's just Tim and I. Yes, it is. Um, Jeff is, he's away, and I've been thinking about how to introduce where he's been away. Um, I've got a couple of things. Heaven forbid we actually say anything that's the truth about Jeff. (laughs) (laughs) He's not going to listen. He's not going to (laughs) care. I could say Jeff's away on assignment, but that assumes that he's going to come back with something like great. And uh, I don't want to put that pressure on him. Everybody's going to have going to be let down, and you know. But I do have a couple things. Ready? And maybe you have something too up your sleeve. I think Jeff decided to go to school, back to school. He said something about taking some classes. I think he went to the School of Rock. Oh, the School of Rock. I think. I mean that that that's that checks out. He is he's the doctor of rockonomics. So He's got to listen to this episode. <laughs> but you know, he could be in Spain. He could be like a, on the Iberian Peninsula forming a new hockey team called the Rock of Gibraltar. Oh, you know, I like that idea. I like it. <laughs> Do you have any other places where you think he is? I, 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 do, I don't. I just, I mean, the only other thing that I just picture is Jeff in some cave with a pickaxe wearing a Bruins jersey hoping and praying that they're winning and studying rocks. <laughs> I wonder what this rock is. <laughs> what do you do, rock? <laughs> <laughs> like he's a rock psychologist or something. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> well, anyway, uh, check his way. Uh, he's actually in Quebec. It's good to make fun of him a little bit. Anyway, so while Jeff's away, we are going to talk about games one and two. Yes, which are were pretty fantastic. If you ask me if the Bruins were going to outscore the Carolina Hurricanes by... Um, how many goals at this point? Oh, my God, I can't even count. Uh, by seven goals between the two games uh, because they had scored 11 goals and the uh, Hurricanes had scored four. 
if you asked me that was what was going to happen, I would not have said that would be the case. Same here. Honestly, I I, I kind of felt, especially when they said Morazic um, was in net, he's the kind of guy that as long as you shoot at him, eventually he's going to give up a goal or two. Like I feel like he's the type of goal, he's the perfect goalie to just shoot the puck at the net and, and pray. Because, I mean, looking at his overall um, body of work, that's kind of what happens. He'll be good for spurts, but as just if you just don't let up, keep going and going, he's going to give up some goals. Right, right. So what you're basically saying is the Bruins need to get the puck in deep, and then they need to shoot the puck. Yes, <laughs> that's basically it. Like, and that's that's. And honestly, the if we're talking about the games, the first pe- period and a half, two periods of game one, it's kind of like they forgot how to do that a little bit, and they were down going into that third period of game one. They just weren't. I don't know. They weren't. They weren't doing that. They. It, it seemed like they didn't really have much room to operate and kept trying to make that extra pass, which was annoying as hell. I can't stand that. Just shoot it. Yeah, just shoot it. That is Tim's advice. Shoot it. It is. Besides coming out strong in the first period with that 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 beautiful goal that everybody predicted that Stephen Camper would make, <laughs> would he, he would he would score that right. Right. Everybody had that. You know, then they, they kind of fell apart for a while. I was listening to the hockey show on Saturday. And Bob Beers was saying that the, the problem the Bruins are having right now with these speedier teams is in the second period when they have to make the change. Because the second period is a long change, and the long change is real. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so basically what Cassidy is trying to do, he's trying to change out his full line or his full defensive pair, and he's having a, a difficulty doing that. He, what he should focus on is getting the two guys closest to the bench off the ice and bringing on two guys, and then trying to change everybody out after that. And it's hard. It's really hard to do that. So that could be one of the reasons why the Bruins fall a little flat in the second period, because they're trying to not gas themselves. Yeah. Uh, but you're right. It, it, they just they fell flat after Camper's goal. Uh, for, you know, basically almost two periods there. Yeah, they did. And something that really kept them in the game, obviously, was Tuka Rask. He was great. Again, that that first game. I mean, without him in that, that game at the end of two could have been easily four or five to one. Oh, yeah. The Ajo goal, it was a power play goal, and it, was only, it only took three seconds after the Corelli penalty for Ajo to score. But we've seen Tuka so laser-focused. And that wasn't even his fault. No, it was another deflected goal, which it feels like like that's the way to beat Tuca. Right, because he can't necessarily prepare for that. It's really hard to do that. But that goal was scored against him, and then the McKegg goal in the in the second period, it's time for, for Tuca to wake up. But then Carolina wasn't really dangerous after that. And yes, Tuca was good, but it seemed like Carolina got the 2-1 lead and they kind of figured, you know what, that should be good, almost. It's like they didn't expect the Bruins to kind of push back at all. They kind of let their foot off the gas, and we've been critical of the Bruins of doing this before, where they get a lead and then they kind of take their foot off the gas pedal and then you're left wondering what the hell happened. 
That's kind of what it seemed like happened. Yeah, well, I mean, remember, they've played each other three times this season, uh, and two of those games were close. You know, uh, they were, they, they uh, there was a goal separating the winner and the loser in those games. And one of them went into overtime. So Carolina probably thought, ah, you know, we've seen this team. We know what this team does. Uh, there's nothing that will surprise us. Think that two goals might do it. Like the, the home team's down two goals going into the third. But that's not how the Bruins decided to handle it. No, not even a little bit. Um, they benefited from two power plays. Yes, they, they definitely did. The first penalty was the first one, the... It was Stahl boarding Wagner. Oh, yes. Okay. That's right. Stahl boarding Wagner. And there were a lot of people that kind of didn't think that that was a penalty. But, I mean, it's one of those things where it was close enough to a penalty to call. And if it's close enough, they may call it. It's the playoffs. They don't know. Like, they've been so inconsistent that if you do, you can't put yourself in a situation where they're gonna, they can call you. And that's what Stahl did. He put himself in a situation where they could call him for a penalty. Yeah, I think whenever you've got a guy at the boards and, and you shove him like headfirst into the boards in any way, you got to call it as boarding. Yeah. I mean, it, typically if you shove a guy into the boards by the numbers, I don't have a problem with them calling the, the, the penalty because there are so many things that they didn't call interference yep. against Carolina because they're really big into interference. So, and, and that's fine. If you're not going to call both sides for it, I don't care, but... The Bruins got burned on some of those things. So Jordan Stahl boards Wagner at 149. And uh, it takes a, it takes a little time. It takes about, um, let's see if I can add here, about 33 seconds, I think. Oh, no, no, it's not at 149. I'm sorry. I'm, I think it's just 49 seconds. It, it took a while. It took a while for that, that power play to happen. But Joe Hansen, oh, my God. Playoff JoJo, yeah. It would, and it was a really nice goal because – um, he was parked out in front of the net, and f- be, even though people, and by people I mean Mike Milbury, like to call him Marshmallow Soft, he parked in front of the net and got that dirty goal, and that was nice to see. I mean, I I love those kind of goals where you just have a guy parked out front, and he's ready to clean up any rebound and just put it in, and that's kind of what happened, and it was beautiful. It was really nice to see that. Yeah, it was a little frustrating because it was the. I mean, it was great because they had great zone time. But it, you know, you have uh, basically you have Marshy, Krejci, and Krug just cycling the puck around until they just had the right moment, and then he basically is right there in the front of the net and and just gets it in. It's great. So then, perhaps my favorite penalty of the night. <laughs> yeah. Now this one, I think you could you could go, oh, that wasn't really roughing, or I mean that was a weak call. But anytime that Dougie gets called for anything, I don't care. Send him to the box. Send him to the box for being a bad sport, not playing in Boston anymore. Yeah, and honestly, the statistic community loves Dougie Hamilton, but holy crap, he kind of like imploded on himself during that third period he just just took some bad penalties and you can argue whether they should have been called or not but if you're gonna if you're gonna call the what Corrale did during the scrum a penalty 
in the first period that led to the Yaho goal, then you're damn well better call that Dougie penalty as well. Because that's kind of what it was. If you're going to call shit penalties, be consistent. And, and they were consistent calling kind of weird shitty shit, basically. <laughs> weird shitty shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Well, Patrice Bergeron. That was another, it was a nice goal. It seemed like he didn't get as much on it on that he wanted to, but it worked because I feel like, because the ice first of all, game one was really bad. Mm -hmm. It seemed like they were playing with a tennis ball half the time, but I feel like that that kind of gave a knuckling effect on the puck and it's, and Mrazic kind of reacted too quickly to it because he thought it was going to come in quicker and then it went between his legs and in. Yeah, I mean, Bergie was all over the ice in that in that power play. Okay, because he, he was at, at one point, he was up at the point. Jake DeBrus makes this really great play to get the puck out of the corner. He like he puts his whole body into it, falls down, pushes the uh, the puck up the up the ice with the stick, and Bergie passes it down to to Marshy, and then Marshy, you know, just waits till Bergie's in position, and boom, there you go, right in front of the net. It was, oh, God, just gorgeous. It was gorgeous, and it's like it's like the PK didn't want to cover Bergeron almost. Like, like there wasn't, like, it wasn't like he was fighting for position in front of the net, which was really weird. Unlike the Johansson goal where he kind of fought for that position and stood his ground and got the goal, they kind of just let Bergeron be there. Well, if you had a face like Bergeron's, and you've won four Selkies. Really? Do you want to guard against that? Do you want to even touch him? I mean, in a bad way. No, I mean, no, you don't. You kind of don't. There's no guarding that, really. I mean, at that point, you kind of just, I guess, let it be. Yeah, he just blinded them with beauty. That was it. Yeah. <laughs> the light shone down from the heavens and a goal was scored. Exactly. That's exactly what happened. St. Patrice. Of course. It makes sense. And now, perhaps my favorite goal. Okay, my favorite goal of the night, besides Camper's like shot out of the blue, uh, which we didn't really talk about that much, um, but maybe we'll talk about it a little bit. My favorite one of the night, and I was hoping so bad that it was my boyest of boys goal, but it was not, was Coyle's empty netter. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was kind of like one of those things where I don't think it was touched, like, Coyle and uh, the Kings defender were both chasing the puck, but the puck was going too fast for them to catch to it, and it beat them to the goal line and went in. I watched this play over and over and over again because I wanted to get this right. Nino Niederreiter turns over the puck in the neutral zone, but very close to the blue line. Uh, and Sean Crawley's there, but, you know, basically, like, he's trying to do this, like, pass to get the, the puck into the Bruins zone. And it fails. And Sean Crawley is just there. He doesn't do anything to the puck. But Brandon Carlo is over at the blue line. And he gets the puck and he tosses it back up the middle where Charlie Coyle is with Sebastian Ajo. Now, it bounces off of Charlie Coyle's skate. <laughs> <laughs> and that just continues to go up the ice. Sebastian Ajo, if you watch the play again and again, like I did, he's actually holding... Charlie Coyle's stick and trying to drag him down. He almost succeeds. It's one of those things where it's like, if that wouldn't have become an empty net goal, 
how were the refs going to handle that? Because he was holding his stick. He was interfering with him because neither of them had the puck. <laughs> I mean, it could have gone either way. Uh, but you you have to call that, right? Yeah, you would have to. There was nothing, and it went in, and that made it four two. And that was that was the nail in the coffin. But the nail hadn't been hammered yet, so it just kind of it was just kind of like you set out from the wood. It was set. Yeah, you you set it, but you didn't nail it in. The final blow was Wagner coming in <laughs> and it was like an empty net, non-empty net. Like Morazic just like had no shot at all at it. Yeah. It was just, he came up and I believe it was a, uh, if it wasn't a breakaway, it was a one-on-one situation and boom, like th- through went right through Morazic and that made it five, two and, that was basically all she wrote for the uh, Hurricanes. Yeah, uh, it was obvious that Morazic was not preparing for that because Toivu uh, Turavainen was moving the puck up the ice and trying to get into the ne- neutral zone, but he coughed it up at his blue line. And Wagner, and this is why the fourth line is so good, because the fourth line gets this opportunity to go you know, into not only go into the the Carolina zone, they go deep into the zone, deep enough to catch Mrazek, who's unprepared, and basically just goes five hole, boom. <laughs> yeah, done, and that was it. Carolina was done. Bruins win five two. I know we didn't really talk about the first goal, but it was a very nice play set up by Marcus Johansson. So he had a good game. He had a goal and an assist. Yeah. Let's- a little bit more about Johansson, actually. Uh, he's he's been excellent uh, recently. Both he and Coyle, really that third line as a whole, has been really good. I think Heinen, Coyle, and Johansson have gelled really well over the last five or six games, and they're they're playing really well. And I saw a stat. Uh, it's specifically Coyle and Johansson. So far this postseason, the two of them combined have nine goals. 12 assists, 21 points, and they have 25 individual high-danger scoring chances generated between the two of them. Damn. They're just on another level right now. It was one of those things where you traded for Coyle before the deadline, and he looked good. The scoring wasn't there, but he looked good. And you could see that you were hoping that maybe he would give you something in... Uh, the playoffs, and he has. And Johansson, on the other hand, he he got injured, which was tough, missed a bunch of games after getting that bruised lung. And then he came back right before the playoffs. It was looking like he was taking some time to get his feet wet. Yep. Uh, I believe he was sat for game two and three against Toronto. Ever since coming back, he's been great. He, he, he's finally gelling with his line mates. I think the consistency of actually playing and playing with coil, man, it's, it's at the point where you almost have to look at trying to bring Johansson back to see if you can, uh, cause he's a free agent at the end of the year. If you can bring him back cheap, I mean, you have to, he's, he's playing that well and I'm, and I'm digging it. I absolutely love it, especially with, for whatever reason, it's like, he kicked Milbury's dog or something. <laughs> Milbury absolutely cannot stand Marcus Johansson for some reason. And uh, he's just proving him wrong. 
it seems like whenever Johansson has the puck, he's making a play, a positive play to help the Bruins win. Well, okay. About Milbury, this is not Milbury's type of player. This is a, a guy who is uh, a little bit more finesse. Well, let's just say it. He's injury prone, right? Yeah. I'm not talking about the, the you know, the hit that Marshan put on him last year that actually gave him that severe concussion. That's not what I'm talking about at all. But I'm talking about he goes to try to make a hit against Berlin and he knocks himself out for a few weeks, right? And I, I don't want Marcus Johansson hitting people. That's not his game. Just no. don't do it. We, can, we have enough room on this team that we don't need everybody to do that. Car, uh, Charlie Coyle is a much bigger body, and he can take those blows. So that that's fine. It's perfect. You've got uh, Coyle and uh, and Heinen on that line. You don't need Johansson doing that. That's fine, right? They each have a different skill set. So it's great to see that it's all working. What I love about it is that Krug, I think it was Tori Krug, who said that he became a little bit more vocal in the room. Marcus Johansson, after the second period of the game, and he just had that look in his eye. That's the stuff you like to hear, that look in his eyes, like he's going to make it happen. So good for him. You know, I'm glad that we trash-talked him a little bit, and I'm not going to call him Marshmallow Soft like uh, like Milbury does, but I'm going to say that hitting's not his game, so don't have him do it. Yeah, It's very simple. Uh, if he's going to produce, then... Fuck, no, you don't need to do any hits. Come on. <laughs> exactly. And and the thing is, too, all three guys have pretty decent courses, if I remember. I think they're all all three of them so far in the playoffs are like around 53, 54%. So they're driving play when they have the puck and when they're on the ice. And that's what you want. And it's funny, we... We joked about that third line a lot this year, especially how it was kind of non-existent. <laughs> and now it's it's become a little bit of an X factor in the playoffs. Well, Tim, you can rest assured that your prediction brought us Charlie Coyle and Marcus Johansson. Apparently, I, I'm I'm good with it. I love it. I am all here. I'm here for it, and I hope it continues because the secondary scoring has really been. As as much as we joked about it in the regular season, it's there. Oh, yeah. Secondary scoring is the theme of these two games. Absolutely. How many different goal scorers did you have here that weren't the top line? Okay, so Bergeron, he was a power play goal. But, you know, the second game, oh, my God. The second game was almost entirely secondary scoring, with the exception of Jake DeBrusque. Now, here's the funny thing. Tim, I'm still learning. I'm always learning. I think that we all have to be students of life, right? And, right. And I'm, I'm learning about hockey uh, as I go because there are things that happen that I'm like, what? I don't understand that. And it took me forever, forever to understand the difference between interference in hockey and interference in football. Because every yeah. time that I'm like, why did that guy hit that guy with the, the puck? You know, isn't that interference? And Glenn's like, no. <laughs> that's what you want to do <laughs> so anyway my, my point is this um, I'm, I'm always learning uh, about these things and I decided last night I was like you know what I just want to make sure I have the correct definition of secondary scoring right because we've been throwing that term around all year and I think I've got it but I just want to make sure and do you know if you google what is secondary scoring in hockey you will get one result that will be helpful and a whole lot of results that will not be. 
<laughs> oh, really? Okay. <laughs> One result, and it was like, it looked like it was a blog by a Pittsburgh Penguins fan who basically said, my definition of secondary scoring is scoring that is by the third and fourth lines. All right. Okay. And I'm like, all right, I can get behind that. So it's like, I keep thinking that in the Bruins case, secondary scoring is everybody else who scores who isn't Bergeron, Pasta, or Marshy. Right? Right. So that that's the way I'd look at it. Right? But, you know... That I'm willing to adapt it to this other definition and, and add on any time any of the goal uh, goalies. <laughs> that would be really something, huh? <laughs> story. I would love to see it. Um, any time. I mean, come on. Halak had a couple assists this year, right? So, so did Tuka. Oh, he did? I didn't know that. Yeah, no. they both had like two. I think they both had two. And see, all these people saying all this good stuff about Halak and not pointing out that Tuka had two assists. Come yeah. on now. That's not fair. Secondary scoring. My definition of secondary scoring is anytime the third and fourth line produces a goal or assists and all that stuff, right? They, they, and anytime any of the defensemen do, any of them. Just I would agree with that. Any defenseman, you know what I mean? I'm not going to exclude, I'm not going to say, oh, but the top line. No, 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 no. Anytime any of the defensemen score, that's, that's uh, secondary scoring. So Camper, in the first game, he had that huge goal that everybody predicted yes and johansson assisted him with that by getting that puck down the ice and, and backhanded it oh my god that pass was so gorgeous he just backhanded it across the ice to camper who was like streaming in and just wristed it in it was gorgeous yeah it was a really it was a really nice play and that's one thing that's really been on display with johansson recently is his passing ability is and his vision is really good. Yeah, and he knows when. Yeah, he knows when to pass because, like, sometimes he's like, "Oh man, I'm trying to open up for a shot here, but I'm going way too low, and I need to pass this over to the other side and see if somebody else has a shot." That's when you pass. That's when you pass. To me, he's similar to uh, David Krejci in that point in that aspect. They both are able to see those lanes and see those passes. Right, right. And hopefully that's something that we're going to see from Danton Heinen as well. We might already be seeing that from Danton Heinen. I just don't know because I'm not paying attention to Danton Heinen's game as much. So, but anyway, secondary scoring. It's the theme of these two games. So many, so many things. You know, you got that third line producing. The fourth line produces from time to time, but they get that puck down into the zone. It's really great. But yesterday... Yesterday's game was game two, and it was Mother's Day. It's Mother's Day mat- matinee. And and do you know whose mothers were there? Who? We know for sure that Matt Grizzlick's mother was there. Nice. And Connor Clifton's mother was there. Oh, that one. That one's cool. Yes, it was. It was very, very cool. I think we can all agree on that. First of all, I like when we treat hockey players as people. Right. I agree. Yeah. We realize uh, that's one of the things that people probably don't like about our podcast is that we treat them as people. Yeah, sure. We make we, sometimes we treat them like they're robots or they're sci-fi or fantasy characters. But most of all, they're, they're people. So they have feelings. They have family. They have friends. They have lots of things going on in their lives. So what I'm trying to say is this. It, it's nice. It's nice to see parents being at games. I, I kind of dig it. And having a national broadcast like that, you don't always see that. Like, for instance, did they once show that the banner captain was one Bobby Orr, who was there to basically celebrate the 49th anniversary 
of his game and series winning goal in 1970. Nope. But you know what they did have? Coach fucking Krzyzewski doing the intro. Oh my God. Did that piss you off? So much. And he especially because like, okay, cool. Pander to Carolina a little bit. I get it. But holy shit. He's like, watch out Bruins. A storm's coming. And I mean, if by storm you meant a, a bright sunny day, then yeah, absolutely that storm game. My holy shit, that pissed me off. He must have His, obviously been talking about the nor'easter we're supposed to get tonight. Oh yeah, the the snow. Yeah. Not only did it piss me off that they were pandering to Carolina so badly to with that, but it's Coach K. He's a call. He's an NCAA basketball coach, and also to top it off. He's also like the Team USA basketball coach. Like, that's it. That's what he's done. Like, he's not a professional. Their team didn't win anything recently because guess what? They got knocked out of the NCAA tournament. It's just he's the most successful sports personality coach, what have you, in Carolina. So they had him do it. Yeah, I I, I don't follow their sports. I don't really give a shit about that stuff. And and I, I think that Duke is a far overrated university. So whatever. But I, you know, my point is this: is that it's not equal time. They're no. totally just like, oh, Carolina, ooh, we're giving into this like Carolina thing, ooh, whatever. I get it. There's Boston fatigue. There is, and, and that, I think that's why everybody kind of hates us right now. Is yep. that we have teams that win, and yeah, that's frustrating for other people, you know. But I don't think the Bruins deserve that much ire, to tell you the truth. Because it's not like the Bruins have been winning all the Stanley Cups like, say, Chicago or the Penguins or whatever. Yes, they've been in the mix a lot, but there were a few years where they, what, there were like two seasons that they didn't even make the playoffs because they fell apart at the end. And they were the President's they won the President's Cup. Best team in the league and got knocked out in the second round. Like, I feel like people forget this stuff. Like, they hate the Bruins, and I think what they hate is they hate the reputation of the big bad Bruins and are, and these aren't the big bad Bruins. They aren't, they aren't going to hit you to death. They aren't, that's not who they are anymore. They've adapted, they've overcome that. And I think it's unfair to, paint this team in that light yeah yeah it's it's not fair at all yeah i that gosh you know that president cup year was was kind of painful because we had a ginla and it was very exciting and you know, to to get a ginla cup would have been so fun yeah like i mean not to get him for him to actually win the cup it would have been so great but that's not how it worked out so hey we've had our fair shares of tough times and it's been painful and yeah i know that everybody hates the the uh the patriots and the red Sox for the winning stuff and whatever but this bruins team is a lot more fun they really are um and people should just give them a chance but i i hate the i hate that little advertisement for the, the hurricanes before each game that's got to stop but oh my god that game yesterday yeah that was that was a great game it was a great game, pretty much start to finish, you know, minus Tuga playing like I play 
like NHL 19 when I get bored at the end of it, but. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. I can't wait to talk about that goal. That's so hilarious. It was, but beyond that, yeah, this, this team, this game was really good. And the Bruins dominated. Like it's funny because after the first game, a lot of Carolina media fans had have you kind of, um, laughed at the fact that the Bruins were better than the Capitals and Islanders. Like they're not that much better. The Bruins showed you why they are that much better. And Carolina can hang their head on, Oh, well, we went down Oh two to Washington and came back. Well, that's cool. Those first two games you got down and you came back. The Bruins did not let you come back at all. They just absolutely made you play the Bruins game. The Bruins forced their will on it. And it's funny because to start the game out, especially with uh, the hit on Grizzly from Furlan, they tried to just hit the Bruins to death. They tried to beat them down. And I don't know if they were not watching the Columbus series at all, but that doesn't work. No. You know, this whole notion of the sports fans thinking like, well, this team is obviously better than the other team. You know, it's like, uh, you know, the Capitals are a better team than uh, than the Bruins team is and blah, blah, blah. It's just, it's such bunk, you know, because this is what it comes down to. It really doesn't matter what you look like on paper. It doesn't really matter if you have more talent. What really matters is this. Who plays better on any given day, Right. Right. So if the Bruins had figured out your schemes and they're playing better than you, great. That's That means they're better than you on that day. And they might be better than you for four days. Right? And that means that they're better than you because they won. Talent plays a lot into these things. Drive plays a lot into these things. And luck. Oh, my God. Luck plays into these things as well. So basically, it really doesn't matter how good you are. It, it really matters how you play the game. It, I know it sounds like such cliche, but it, it's just how it is. And guess what? The Bruins, they beat your ass yesterday because they were the better team and they played better. And they played a lot better. They proved to you how good they are. And honestly, I think a lot of people, including the fans, were like underestimated Charlie McAvoy coming back. The Bruins' defense was stifling. I think Carolina only had like 21 shots the entire game. The defense was absolutely stifling. They weren't allowing them to do much. And on the flip side, the Carolina defense fell apart. The one that stands out to me is Slavin. He's supposed to be their star in the making and everything like that. And yes, he's good, but holy shit. He he looked awful like for them last night yesterday he looked absolutely awful he was probably their worst defenseman yesterday yeah he was caught behind the play a lot and he was caught trying to make up for things and and that's never a good place to be if you're a defenseman you know i mean that's dougie's position usually (laughs) (laughs) maybe they switched jerseys for a game (laughs) okay so you know one of my lasting things from yesterday you know, Sedano Chara was sent to the box for, I don't know what it was, tripping? It was tripping. It must have been tripping. I'm not going to deny he needed to be sent to the box. That's fine. Whatever. These these things happen in, in hockey games. But 
talking about Charlie McAvoy, do you know how, who was out on the ice? And they, they did make the shifts shorter on that PK. But on the ice, you had a combination of Charlie McAvoy and Brandon Carlo, with Charlie McAvoy playing his off side. It might not have been a huge long shift, but that is what you had yesterday. And guess what? They didn't score any power play goals on you when that happened. No. I mean, they were 0 for 4 on the power play, I believe. Yep. So, like, that, you know, Charlie McAvoy is not looked at usually as a penalty killer. Usually you have uh, Chara and Carlo handling the, the most of the workload. And then you'll have, like, Clifton and um, and Grizz. You even had Tory Krug at the end of that penalty kill yesterday. It was amazing. You had a full team effort yesterday. People doing things they don't normally do. And it was it was great. Let's talk about that secondary scoring, though. Oh, my God, it was delicious. First of all, the Bruins scored two goals per period, which is amazing. Can we just get yeah, that consistency. out? Yeah, consistency. So good. Yeah. So the first goal of the game, and it happened well into the, the first period, like almost three-quarters of the way into the first period. Uh, actually, more than three-quarters of the way. It was Matt Grizzlick. And surprise, surprise, it was assisted by Marcus Johansson and Charlie Coyle. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And, and and basically, Johansson just passes it to Grizz, who threaded the needle, just threaded it right between Mrazek and the post. It just went right in. It like just kind of just slipped in. It was like, oh, my God, that's amazing. It was lifted and in, and it was great. Yeah, so Johansson again. Fucking Johansson. Come on, man. Freaking awesome. Johansson. Yeah. It was, and, you know, it was good for Grizz. He's scored a couple goals these playoffs now, and it's it's nice to see him get on, getting in on the scoring just because uh, he went so long in the regular season between goals. Oh, yeah. It was something like 50 games or something where he went in between uh, goals. So it's nice to see him get it, getting in on it. And, honestly, Grizz has played so well these playoffs, so – um, good for him and that secondary scoring. Oh my god, secondary scoring, love it! I think that's gonna be the title of this episode: secondary scoring. So then, you know, about three minutes later, we have another power play. It's uh, Justin Williams goes for tripping, and it was not a very long power play at all. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was it was only a few seconds in. Um, and it was Jake DeBrus getting his third of the playoffs, I believe. And that was another one of those down and dirty in front of the net goals. And it was a, it was on his second or third try of stuffing at home in front of the net. And it was awesome. It was, as they like to say, Selly season after that. Yeah. Because he, he celebrates with the best of them. And something that was really neat is Louis was there. So... Yes. That was good to see. Yes, I, that was actually what I wanted to point out in a little bit. So Jake DeBrus takes three attempts to get that puck in, but he gets it in, and it, it's brilliant. Louis DeBrus was there, and do you know who he was standing next to? Oh, I didn't notice, no. Matt Grizzlick's parents, specifically Matt Grizzlick's dad. That's perfect, too, then. I mean... Yeah, so the first two goal scorers, their parents were hanging out. And it worked out. Maybe they we we've got to have them sitting together more often. Mm. Also, side note: side note, Louis DeBrus looks like he could still play. <laughs> yeah, he's pretty jacked. You know, he really is. I was surprised. I kind of knew that when I was when I saw him at the game 
on TV yesterday. I was like, geez, this guy looks like he could be an enforcer for a team still. My gosh. Yeah, yep. I bet you that he's just hoping that Jake has a, a longer and better career than he did. Because that's what you do when you're a parent, right? You want more for them. Louis DeBrusque's big thing was uh, he was an enforcer. Pretty sure he had close to like 1,200 career penalty minutes. Oh, my goodness. So <laughs> he spent a lot of time in the box. but <laughs> oh, Well, you know what? He's still got it going on. There we go. Uh, Jake DeBrusque's dad, not Stacy's mom. <laughs> Jakey's dad. <laughs> You know, the thing is, this is what's crazy. I always, like, I yell at my TV, Jakey! <laughs> I don't know why. That's not his name. <laughs> Jakey! That's, I mean, it works. I I, I just, I, I, I just yell. I was just so pumped to, to get that second goal. And honestly, um, getting the second goal was pretty big because I know in the first game, the Bruins got that goal, and it was like less than a minute later that Carolina tied it up. So it was pretty important getting that second goal without allowing Carolina to score there. Oh, I yeah. think that was pretty big. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Definitely huge. Because it's just imposing your will and saying, not today, Satan. Not today. Exactly. Early on in the second, <laughs> this is what's really entertaining. Um, Doc Emmerich is losing a step because yeah. he gets like the totally wrong player when he's describing the puck going into the zone because the, the person who brought the puck in to the Carolina zone was the guy who ended up scoring Connor Clifton, Connor Clifton first NHL goal. Yes. First NHL goal. And his mom was there to see it. So that's special. And I, I've decided now I'm just going to call him Robert Downey Jr. Jr. Okay. <laughs> because he just looks like Robert Downey Jr. to me. He's not much taller than him. You know, it just, like, they have the same kind of look. But anyway, yes. So, yeah. Connor Clifton, Robert Downey Jr. Jr. Scored that goal. First ever goal. So he brings it into the zone, and he brings it down around the goal, but he passes it off to, guess who? Guess who? I'm going to guess Marcus Johansson. It is Marcus Johansson. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and basically, you know, Johansson gets him the pocket. He has an open net to shoot into. It's like because Razik is sold on the idea that, that Johansson's going to shoot it. Yeah, that was, and that was a nice heads-up play by Johansson again. He kind of waited for that to develop a little bit. Um, and it allowed Mrazek to uh, get way out of position. And if Clifton had missed that, I mean, you pretty much have to send him back down to the AHL at that point if you miss that shot. You know, the knock on Marcus Johansson is that he gives goalies a look that they know that, okay, well, I'm going to, Johansson's going to shoot that way, you know? Right. In this case, it worked. <laughs> it did. And honestly, the thing that I loved most beyond that about that goal is like how hard Clifton shot it into the back of the net. Like... He, he it came popping right back out. It was just, it was really cool. It was a nice sequence, good play. And actually, other third liner Denton Heinen got the secondary assist on that. So look at that, the third line doing things. 
Yeah, I didn't even, there must have been a pass that I missed because I didn't even remember Denton Heinen being in it, but that's okay. I mean, maybe he was up the ice. That's when it must have been. Because Clifton really pinched on that goal and then got himself net front. I think he shot it from like the face-off dots or something, but it was beautiful. Wonderful. And then it took almost the full rest of the period for this to happen, but who scored the next goal, Tim? That would be uh, Matt Grizzlick. And it was a power play goal. I believe that was the penalty on Justin Williams that he got tangled with the whole Martian <laughs> thing. It was. Where, where um, Martian kind of goaded him into a penalty. And you can argue all you want whether or not it should have been offsetting penalties or not. But at the same time, they didn't, do, they didn't call it that. And uh, Martian kindly pointed out where the – penalty box was <laughs> to Justin Williams and then pretty much went the whole is this your captain to Carolina <laughs> like is this your king and yeah it was it was it was peak Martian we'll put it that way it was absolutely peak all right now in a perfect world that would have been offsetting penalties I agree um, because he basically he got up he 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 uses stick you know, the blade of a stick to get up in, in Justin Williams' uh, neck area. They were jawing, and he did that. But we know how penalties get called. There is so many of instances where you have two players doing something, getting involved, but the person who retaliates is the person who gets called for it. So if Justin Williams wouldn't have tried to, like, pull off Brad Marchand's helmet and, and knock him around a little bit, then you you actually probably wouldn't have even had Marshan go to the box. It would have been nothing. When the blade of Marshan's stick came up, Williams actually had a hold of Marshan's stick. Oh, I did not see that part. Yeah, he. Uh, there's a. You have to slow it down, and you can see he actually is grabbing Marshan's stick. So I mean, I don't know if they necessarily called. It seemed like they called it after the fact. So the the whole Justin Williams trying to sun. Brad Marshawn, apparently, like, grabbing him by the chin and being, like, giving him a stern talking to. <laughs> and then I don't know if it was that or if it was necessarily the grabbing of the stick. But, yeah, he, he was he had the blade of Marshawn's stick in, firmly in his grasp. Okay, I did not see that part when I, I looked at it again. But, all right, so maybe it shouldn't have been anything, really. But... Whatever, it's uh, Justin Williams goes to the box and you can clean all about it, all that you want about it. Now, let me just tell you about um, one of the, the most egregious penalty things that got called, I think it was back in the Toronto series, when uh, Nordstrom got slew-footed. I think it was by Riley. He got slew-footed. It was probably Riley or Hyman, because those jerks, that's what they do. And his stick went up and he accidentally high-sticked whoever was slew-footing him. Right. Right? And and Nordstrom's the only one who ended up with the penalty. <laughs> That's kind of what it is. Carolina, a lot of Carolina fans are complaining about penalties and how they um, are kind of a reason why the Bruins won. I mean, you lost the first game 5-2, and you got blown out in the second game as well. And there have been seven penalties called against each team. The difference is... Carolina is one for seven on the power play, I believe, and the Bruins are four for seven. So there you go. The Bruins power play is back to like 
actually hitting on most cylinders now. So they're like actually doing things. It's no longer can we decline this penalty like it was earlier in the playoffs. It's give us more. We can actually score now. We're not giving up all of the breakaways. Oh my god, that was so terrible. Yeah, yeah, it, it was frustrating for a little while, but um, it's it's going well right now. And that third goal was great. It was Matt Grizzlick scoring it, and it was assisted by more secondary scoring, Charlie Coyle, and actually Tori Krug. And Tori Krug actually ended up having three assists this game as well. So. What's really funny is that I couldn't even tell you how he got him, but he got him. Yeah. Um, it looked like that one was a secondary assist, so Coyle got the uh, main assist on that Grizzly goal. Looking at it, it was a it was right in front of the net again. Morazic just didn't have it, and I was surprised that they didn't pull him, honestly, for the third period. Because, I mean, he had given up four goals at that point. It's one of those things where you walk a fine line between embarrassing your own goalie and trying to hurt his feel and trying not to hurt his feelings. Like, I don't know. Well, I mean, Chris Lick's goal there was a backhand. So it's hard to sometimes prepare against that. You think that you have it, but you don't, but it was gorgeous. But you know, here's the other thing. Prindamore wants Morazic to work through this. And you could just say that as bad as Morazic was yesterday and how much he didn't have it letting in four goals through two periods the rest of the team could not get it together to score. You can blame penalties all you want, but fine. What are you doing at five on five? Seriously, what are you doing at five on five? You're supposed to have like some really dangerous uh, fast skaters. Dougie Hamilton's supposed to be so great at scoring goals. And what is he doing? Well, he's getting beat on defense and he coughed up the puck a couple of times. Yeah. I agree. And looking at it too, I mean, the Bruins won in faceoffs. They had thir- they won thirty one faceoffs. Carolina only won twenty two. Uh, Carolina was zero for four on the power play. The Bruins were two for two. Um, even after Carolina came out and tried to hit them to death, um, the Bruins led in hits thirty five to twenty eight, and the Bruins had more shots on goal twenty five to twenty three. So, I mean, the Bruins really controlled the play. You were doing nothing. Obviously, you can't rely on power plays to get you out of the situation because you had four. You had twice as many as Boston did, and you just didn't score. Right. What do you want? Do you want everything to be called? Because I'm going to tell you, nothing slows down a game. Nothing grinds it more to a halt than have every. Little thing called. I, I yes, you want you want the things that really count to be called. I complained about interference. Interference, for the most part, you know, there there are times where people get interfered with, and it has really nothing to do with how the play is going to develop on the other end. So who cares, right? But right. I just I, you can't have everybody called for every little thing. And you know, maybe your team should be a little more disciplined. Is what it comes yeah. down to. Your captain got called for two penalties yesterday, so. I remember that through the second, Carolina had only taken like eight shots on goal or something. Most of their shots yeah. on goal happened in the third. Yeah, they they were doing. Yeah, they like they. It, it kind of reminded me of that game uh, at the end of the regular season that the Bruins had against Tampa, where they beat them like four one maybe, and Tampa 
only took like nine or ten shots on goal partway through the third. They were only at that. So like it, it was when the Bruins defense wants to, they can be ab- they can just stymie you. They can impose their will, and people don't really take that into consideration, especially going into the series. I thought the Bruins defense was really underrated because it seems like they're all kind of coming into their own and uh, understanding their own roles and playing them very well. Uh, McAvoy, Carlo, Grizz, Connor Clifton, they're all understanding what they need to do and they're executing it really well. I don't know what the average age of the Bruins defense is right now. And you know, the only thing bringing it down is uh, the fact that uh, Zidane Chara is 42. But basically, yeah. you've got, like, Krug, is he, like, 28? You've got Magavoy, who's going to be 22? Yeah, I think he's going to be 22. I think he's 21. Carlos, 22. He's going to be 23 later on this year. Clifton's 23, I believe. And I think Grizzly's only 24. Yeah. So they're all, they're all really young guys. And to top it off... Like, they've got some really good young prospects coming up in Providence still that we haven't, that aren't playing. I mean, Vakanainen is the major one, and he's not even 21 yet. And he's got to wait for Chara to retire. Let's just be honest. Yeah, I think that you're going to have a Vakanainen uh, McAvoy top pairing once Chara retires. And I think it's going to be a really, really good top pairing. Yeah. Yeah, they probably will. But, you know, here's another thing that's really great about the Bruins' defense this year, and it, it's something that makes me so happy, is that you got my boys, the boys, Brandon Carlo playing. And yep. and he's doing well because this is a steep curve he has to, to play through here. Yeah, he made he makes mistakes, and he made a huge one that we'll get into in a few minutes. <laughs> Uh, you know, he made some mistakes yesterday, but by and large, you know, um, you know, they weren't the worst things and they didn't lose the game. So I'm going to allow him to, to make mistakes and learn from them. So the third period, guess what? We have more secondary scoring. <laughs> we did. And it was really early on into that third period, too. Um, a minute 10 in. A minute 10 in. David Backus. Um, David Backus scores. And I think when... David back scores. You pretty much have to call the game at that point. Um, <laughs> and it, that one was assisted by uh, David Krejci and Tori Krug. So it, it's nice to see that uh, Backus has played really well since coming back in the lineup. So it's nice to see him get that goal to the second of the playoffs. Yep. Um, that was a fault turnover that turned into something that Krug sent up to Krejci, who pushed it across the ice to Backus. So there's there's one of Krug's assists. Yeah, that was his third one of the game. It was a good sequence to see. It's good to see them take advantage of these turnovers, especially especially in the offensive zone. That's that's where you want to cause them, right? It uh, is. All right. So then the last of the Bruins goals, the onslaught. Yeah, the uh, quota there. Uh, Dayton Heinen scores, and it was a really nice play where he uh, was streaking in and it was assisted by uh, Patrice and more secondary scoring Charlie Coyle who also had three assists this game Johansson had two and Heinen had a goal and an assist that third line 
just doing things. And um, kind of the end of the play there, you had Dougie Hamilton kind of lose his mind a little bit and cross-check him from behind. But Heinen was okay. He scored. And the Bruins were up 6 nothing. Well, you know, it's because Dougie wanted to play in, in Boston this whole time. He wanted to be a Bruins for life. <laughs> yeah, that's that's exactly what he's a double agent. He's purposely losing right now. Uh, hey, he's given us so many goals. I love seeing him trying to go up against Patrice, and it was like Patrice was like no, no. But basically, Bertie was called for tripping, and he was in the box. So the team killed off the penalty in their defensive zone, right? And Charlie Coyle, oh Charlie Coyle, Coyle basically intercepted Dougie's pass toward the goal. Right, because but Dougie was at the point, took a shot on goal. Coyle took it, sent it down the ice to a waiting Bergie, waiting Patrice Bergeron. Uh, and then Heinen was coming up on the left side, so he was like, I'm here. So then, you know, uh, Bergie didn't really have a shot, you know, but he, he was, had he did a good enough job to keep uh, Dougie away from anything because here's the thing that Dougie did, and it was dumb. Dougie played the body and not the puck. Oh, yeah, he did. It's it's actually um, reminds me of the playoffs last year when uh, I believe it was Jake Gardner did a similar thing to DeBrusque, playing the body instead of the puck, and it resulted in a Bruins goal. There are times that you play the body, and it's a good idea. This was not one of them. All he needed to do was get a stick in there because he basically was, like, on Bergie, and he was seconds away from holding Bergie, seriously. But yeah. all he had needed, all, I, maybe he decided not to put that stick out there because he thought he'd get called for a hold. But, you know, he played the body, he didn't play the puck, and then Patrice easily gets it over to Heinen, who just, you know, basically goes glove side, and that's it. Yeah, that was it. And that made it 6 nothing. And, I mean, it, that was, if you really needed a nail in the coffin, I guess that was it. <laughs> secondary scoring secondary scoring <laughs> i mean you have seven points from guys on that third line yesterday so that's that's what you that's what you love to see yep yep it was amazing now i will say that the uh the carolina hurricanes kind of took over the second half of the period if you can call it that y- yeah they they kind of took over a little bit uh, the first goal was by Justin Williams, and again, it was a deflection. Uh, Tuca was trying to play the shot to the left side of his net, and uh, Williams deflected it into the open right side. He had really no shot. Yeah, it's too bad. I guess he was trying to make up for the two power play goals he gave us. I mean, maybe he was, and then, you know, that made it, that made it, that made it 6-1. And then um, later on in the period, Tara Vinen scored. It says unassisted, but really it was assisted by Tuka Rask. <laughs> it was totally assisted by Tuka Rask, and a secondary <laughs> assist by Brandon Carlo. <laughs> um, that was just a weird, awful, terrible sequence. I love that Tuka came out and played that puck so boldly. He went out, you know, between the face-off uh, circles, and he's like, I'm going to play this puck up there because I'm bored. Yeah, that, that's kind of what it is. You, He got bored. That's Carolina's new strategy. Give up six goals and then bore Tuca to death and then get a goal. That's their <laughs> new strategy. 
<laughs> and then maybe get another one. Um, yeah, so Tuca is, goalies don't skate the same way as everybody else. You don't have to be a strong skater to be a goalie. You just have to be able to move side to side and up and down and whatnot. So, um, and sometimes you, you skate out of the goal, right? You have to be able to skate in and out of the goal. <laughs> yeah. So you're not known for your skating prowess and beautiful skating and whatnot. You know, Brendan Carlo saw Teravainen coming up the ice and thought, oh shit, Tuca's out of the net and I'm going to just slide down. I'm going to do the electric slide onto the ice. Because he's like, I, I can't get myself into position enough to take away anything from this guy. So I'm going to slide down and he's going to have to shoot over me. Problem is, he didn't really communicate very well with Tuca because Tuca tripped over him. It was just yeah. a, it was just a collision of bodies on the ice. Just like it was like a, it's like a pig pile. Oh god, um, it didn't work. Uh, Terrifying score. <laughs> yeah, Terrifying score. That made it six two, and that was that was the final. And it's funny, something funny that happened after the game on Twitter.com about that goal. The Carolina Hurricanes tweeted a gif of the goal, and the caption was, take this energy into game three. <laughs> and they got shat all over. They were like, take a 6-2 loss energy into game three. And then people were responding, or make Tuca make a stupid play and get a goal late in energy into game three. Like People didn't really understand what was the point of this tweet the carolina hurricanes twitter has done some funny stuff but man maybe when, when you lose 6-2 maybe don't try to find the silver lining I, I think that's kind of hilarious though i expect a little bit of fight back from the uh the canes tomorrow i do too i expect a closer game than the first two have been and i expect carolina to come out really strong in the first period with a team against has their backs against the wall. You expect them to come out fighting. So I expect that that first like 10 minutes to be really, really tough on Boston. But uh, here, here's the best response basically to that tweet, though. I was looking for it was, our only hope is the other team gives us goals. Love that energy. So that's kind of how everything works out for Carolina. But I do expect game three to be closer. I expect it to probably be a one-goal game. Whether that's three two four three, who knows? But I expect it to be a one goal game. Um, I don't expect Carolina to kind of just lay down and roll over. Although that being said, I think if Carolina comes out strong and the Bruins are able to kind of withstand that, you know, put up their storm shutters, withstand that, and then get a lead on Carolina after Carolina comes out strong. I think Carolina will be kind of deflated at that point. And they'll be like, well, what the hell? What do we have to do to beat this team? I really just hope that the Bruins make this a shorter series and win tomorrow. But I can't imagine that, that Carolina isn't going to have a little bit of that uh, home energy. Yeah, they, they play very well at home. They haven't lost at home in the playoffs yet. So I do expect the game to be a lot tougher than it was in Boston. We will We will see. I uh, how the the crowd there has been nice for the playoffs. I'll give them that. The fans have been good. Contrary to popular belief, the Bruins were pretty loud as well, though, at the TD Garden. The game was so good that they started singing Shania Twain. Oh my so, god! 
that's that's always fun. So I, I, but I expect game three will be tough. I think the key is scoring is withstanding that first kind of wave and then capitalize, capitalizing after the fact and scoring. If you can do that, you're going to probably win. I just, the only thing the first two games have done for me is they've reiterated that the Bruins are the better team. They definitely are the better team. They should win this series. It's whether or not they make it a short series or not. Hmm. Well, we're going to have to see tomorrow night. going to see what, what happens. Uh, while we're talking about that, I think I will go into the schedule. We're going to read off what we think is going to happen in the next week. Tuesday, May 14th at 8 p.m. at PNC Arena in Raleigh, North Carolina. And uh, I hate the 8 o'clock start time, but oh well, we'll deal with it. And Thursday, May 16th, also at 8 p.m., also at PNC Arena in Raleigh, will be game four. And then, if needed, okay, because right now we have to say if needed, although curiously enough, games five, six, and seven, if they are needed, they already have times allotted to them. Oh, wow. So Saturday, if it's needed, uh, on the 18th, at 7.15, because horse racing... Oh, my God. At the TD Garden, the Bruins could take on the Hurricanes in a game five. Yep, that's that's a beautiful schedule. Woo, boy. It is. I, th- I think we'll be back to Boston. I, I still don't. I'm, I'm not changing my prediction of six games just because they always say it's not a series until a team wins on the road. So I want to see. The Bruins, I think if the Bruins take one of these two games in Carolina, then it's probably going to be a five-game series. But we'll see if they can actually do that. Right. I predicted five games, and I thought that was a bold choice. I've heard people say this is going to seven, and I'm like, okay, if that's what you think, sure. Oh, my God. So Brad Marchand, or Brad Brad Marchand, he turned 31 this week. Ooh. Yeah. That was uh, Saturday, I think it was. Uh, he turned 31. And Johnny Busick, Chief, turned 84 yesterday. Oh, man. Good old Johnny Busick. I know. I thought he might be the banner captain, but no, it was Bobby Orr. Of course it was Bobby Orr. Really. And of, and of course, when Bobby Orr was the banner captain, they got goals from three defensemen. (laughs) (laughs) Wait a minute. Was it three defensemen or was it three goals by defensemen? Three goals by defensemen. Okay. Um, That would have been funny if it would have been. Yeah, it would have been more defensemen. But also, Krug got three assists, and there was some stat where it was like um, he was the – fifth Bruins player to have a three-assist game multiple times in the playoffs or something like that. Maybe it was just defenseman. And Bobby Orr was one of the people that obviously had done that. And uh, Ray Bork as well. And Ray Bork tweeted out a congratulations to uh, Tori Krug after the fact as well. Oh, that's sweet. So it's nice to see that our former defensemen are kind of uh, paying attention. 
Yeah, Tori Krug collected three assists in a playoff game for the second time. Also had one had three assists in game two of the 2018 playoffs in the first round. He is the fifth Bruins defenseman uh, in history with multiple three assist games. Bork had five, Orr had five, Brad Park had three, and Carol Vadnais, Vadnas, I don't know, had two Mm. as well. I don't know who that person is at all. Yeah, I've never heard of Carol. But I've heard of Brad Park, Bobby Orr, and Ray Bork, of course. Oh, of course, yeah, yeah. That's that's fun and interesting. I love it. Defenseman on the defense day. <laughs> it was it was it was defense day for the Bruins, and honestly, it's cool to see uh, the defenseman carrying the torch, especially when you have a franchise that has a history of such great defensemen. I mean, Bork. Or, we just named a few: Bork or. Uh, Park, Chara. I mean, these guys are all really good guys that played for you, and um, it's nice to see the young the young guns do the same. Yeah, I, I have to imagine that um, people kind of look at the Bruins as being primarily a defensive team for most of their their existence. I mean, Eddie Shore. Yeah, it's true. You know, just so many names that you could you could come up with. All right, we should probably wrap up this show. All right, you've been listening to Barely on Topic. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can find us on Facebook at Barely on Topic Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at, at Barely on Topic. You can listen to us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, pretty Google much Play. Yeah, Google Play. Yes, I forgot about Google Play. Hey, we might be on Spotify. I don't know. I didn't put us there. I don't even know what Spotify really is, but you know, we could be there. If you find us somewhere else, tell us. That would be fantastic to know. So we could put that in there and make Jeff say more stuff. Anyway, if you want to reach us personally, you can find us at our own personal Twitter handles. I am at VA from RI. I'm doing it straight up. Yes, I know. And I am at Tim A. Richardson. And if you want to tweet at Jeff to tell him how much you missed him, you can find him at Dr. Hand Grenade. That being spelled A-I-D, not like regular hand grenade. So yes. Wow, that was awkward and weird and I do it poorly. So it'll be great when Jeff comes back someday. (laughs) (laughs) Tim. Word.